So I'd like to read to you from um, Luke chapter 17. And for the, and for the kids that just came up, you're going to hear something that Jesus says about a mustard seed. So you can listen for that. Jesus said to his disciples, Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Here ends the reading. I think it's pretty easy for us to feel like those disciples at times, right? Just this morning, police officers try to run over a homeless man before shooting him dead. Lord, increase my faith. (laughs) Political candidate is overheard denigrating the followers of her um, opponent. Lord, increase our faith. Another political candidate is heard denigrating women because they're not beautiful enough. Lord, (laughs) increase my faith. Our child gets bullied, goes into a depression, has trouble at school, doesn't launch. Lord, increase our faith. Put whatever situation in there that doesn't feel like it meshes with how you think the world ought to be. And oftentimes we have this feeling that we just don't have enough faith. We're very quick to, to sort of recognize or to think that, that we have this lack. What, we want, we, what we're looking for and what the disciples are asking for, you know, is a transfusion of faith. Almost as if it's some sort of magic super sauce that's just going to make us have superpowers and be able to do anything at any time. And in some ways, Jesus, with, with some of this, what I think is a little bit of hyperbole about throwing trees into the sea, moving mountains, uh, in our mind as we read that, it can feel like that. that well, that we ought to, well, gosh, if we just, we ought to, if I have this, I must not have, even have this little bit of faith pretty easy to to feel like the disciples. It's also pretty easy to understand right now, I think, um, something that that most people have not believed for a long, long time, which is that humanity is broken. (laughs) 
I mean, just look at what goes on in our world now. I mean, this isn't new. But for many, many years, in a progressive way of thinking, you know, we, we sort of thought, well, if we just act better enough, do better enough, believe better enough, then all of a sudden the world is just going to be better. Well, let me just tell you what, I think the doctrine of sin seems to be right. It, it's, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. We're broken. We may not be ones that are perpetrating some of these things, but even in our own lives, I mean, let's just call it this, these little things, like we get frustrated over stupid stuff. We worry about things that are in some ways often inconsequential. We have fights with our spouses over things that are sort of ridiculous. We're broken. Now, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be perfect and we're supposed to never, never have anger or never get frustrated or, ne- you know, that sort of thing. But we're broken. And so, and so we recognize that. We recognize this gap, this lack that we have. And we say, God, Lord, increase our faith. We think we need, we need some sort of transfusion in order to become something other to be given something that, that we think we don't already have. So just for a moment, I want to talk about what, what I think faith is and what it is not. Faith is not a cognitive certainty. All right? It's not some sort of cognitive certainty where you just, you know, you know just for certain all the time. It's not acceptance of certain dogma. That's not faith. Not in total. Not acceptance of certain dogma. It is not letting fear get the upper hand in our lives. Faith helps to despair fear. It helps to dispel fear. Faith is being willing to take risks to challenge the status quo, to take the risk to work for justice, to take the risk to have a life of mercy. Having faith is giving praise to God, like we're doing here today. Faith is confidence in God's desire for justice. And faith is, in that confidence and trust, asking God, asking Jesus, asking the Spirit for what we need the most. But here's the interesting thing. God has already given us what we need. In this passage... Here are the disciples. I mean, Jesus is sort of getting after them a little bit. You know, occasions for stumbling are bound to come. Hello, there's sin in the world. There are temptations out there in the world. You know, oh, we could just fudge that a little bit. We could, we could do, we could, we could work this this way, and it'll be okay. Nobody will notice. I mean, little things like that, oftentimes in our lives. Occasions for stumbling are bound to occur. Woe to the woe to the one whom it comes through. I mean, that's a pretty strong <laughs> admonition to these disciples. Like, you know, sort of, they're probably going to come through you, these occasions for stumbling. It's going to happen. And it's not going to feel good. And it's not probably going to be good. 
And then he goes on to say, and then if a brother or sister, and the word in there is basically another person of faith, even, you know, those, those, who, have, those who know they've been redeemed by Jesus, those who, those who are part of a community of fellowship, those, are part, those who are part of the church, if one of those people sins against you, you must rebuke them. Woo! How many people like conflict? Raise your hand. Yeah, we got one. <laughs> and she's young. Right? I mean, you must rebuke them. And then, well, and that's easy, right? We, we, like to, we, we love to rebuke people. If they repent. You must forgive. You must forgive. Lord, increase our faith. And if the person does it seven times in one day. Like it's, not, it's not as if Jesus has already set the bar pretty high. Now he goes seven, you know, and in one time he says 70 times seven. I mean, it's just this infathomable sort of thing to us. It is interesting here in, in this Luke passage that there is this sense of you need to rebuke the person and if they repent, you must forgive. Here it does not say you have to forgive whether, whatever they do. For, you know, for no reason. It's interesting. And so, again, imagine the disciples like, Lord, incre- increase our faith. And Jesus says, you know, if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you could do amazing things. Amazing things. In another passage, Jesus says, you know, you're going to do greater things than I have done. You're going to do greater things than I have done. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but m- most days I, I'm doing good just to get out the bed and do my thing and get to work. You know, like Jesus says, if you have faith as mustard seed, you're, you're going to do greater things than these. But here's the kicker. God has already given us what we need. That mustard seed faith is already in you and in me. When we were baptized, God gave us the Spirit, the power that moved over the watery chaos in the beginning and brought everything into being and sustains everything that was, that is, and that ever will be. This is the power that brought Jesus back from the dead and it's been given to you and to me and to every believer. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of our confessions of faith in the Presbyterian Church, says faith is a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me through the gospel. A wholehearted trust in which the, that the Holy Spirit creates 
in me through the gospel. You see, oftentimes we think we're the ones who have to conjure up this faith. That it's, that it's some sort of magic mix of prayer and worship and Bible study, you know, that, that somehow then all of a sudden we, we, we grow this faith. That, that, you know, enough food and water and soil on that seed and all of a sudden it's going to be huge and that's when, it's, that's when we're going to feel it and that's when we're going to be able to do stuff. Not so. It's already in you. The power of life and death, the power of the universe is already in us. We can do things that we don't even realize we are capable of in the name of Jesus. Most of the time, though, we're sort of like the disciples. We, we have these barriers in front of us. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll, be able to, I'll, be able to give, I'll be able to give more... Um, you know, of my time, of my talents, of my resources, um, when, the kids are, when the kids are out of college. I'll be able to, um, I'll be able to, to give more of my time, my talents, and my resources when, when I've got my 401k fully funded. Right? If I can just get to this next thing and move it out of the way, God, then I'm ready. But there's always a next thing for us. There's always a next hurdle, a next barrier, a next excuse. Lord, don't I know. What if, as it says in Psalm 37, we committed our way to the Lord? And we let that mustard seed faith be enough to have our way directed by the Lord. We're the ones who have to put knees and feet on on this faith that we've been given. Meaning, we've been given this faith, but God doesn't coerce us into doing anything. God invites us into a life of prayer and worship and study. God invites us into, and that means being on our knees in that metaphorical way, and, and God invites us into a life of service and gratitude, of giving and being generous. That's putting feet on our faith. We can do things that we can't even imagine right now in Jesus. We can have an effect in the name of Christ that is so large but yet we think so small because we think it depends on the size of our faith. I want you to imagine, you know, back in the late 1800s, Richmond was a much different place, a much smaller place. And, and there were some people in a Sunday school class and they got together and, and, and for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe one of them, two of them, three, said, you know what, I think, I think we need to start a church. Another church. We need another church. And so they, back in the late 1800s, they, they started meeting together. And they built a building before they were ever constituted as an official church. And when they were constituted as a church, you know how many people they had? 
They had 26 members and two elders. You know, today we were like, oh my gosh, start a church. You need like thousands of people, you know. Oftentimes around Westminster, we're like, oh, I don't know. We're just, we're just, we're just, we're just nah, we need more people to get stuff done. We got to get it done. Everybody, everybody's, you know, we just don't have it. Blah, blah, blah. We're too small. 26 people and two elders was the beginning of the official Westminster Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. They built that building. They built another building at Sycamore and Cary, which that, that doesn't exist anymore. They built another sanctuary at Park and Davis, which still stands. Then they built this room, this building that you are in right now. And then in 1965, they built the sanctuary that's at the other end of the block. Five sanctuaries. Do you think that these folks, these 26 people and two elders back in 1889 had any idea? I mean, if we brought them here today and said, hey, this is, this is the church you started. This is the building that houses the congregation that you started I think they might just go, wow. We didn't have any idea that would be that. I mean, can you imagine them coming here today and looking around and seeing young and old, seeing little babies and old women and old men, middle-agers like myself, somebody else who's in between, I mean, can you imagine them coming in and, 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 and just seeing and, and thinking, gosh, 127 years. And you guys are still... I mean, I don't know what, they, what kind of faith they thought it has, but maybe they just thought, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to take this chance. God's calling us to this. Let's, let's give it a shot. 127 years later, here we are. And it hasn't been easy. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that Jesus notes here is that, is that part of being a disciple, part of being a person of faith is how we live together. You know, it's not as if in 127 years there's never been any conflict at Westminster Presbyterian Church. You know, you know it's, it's, never, it's never as if we've rubbed up against each other and, and gotten upset with each other and had to confess to each other and had to forgive each other. And maybe sometimes we've done it really well and maybe sometimes we haven't done it so well. We're broken, and we're forgiven. And so now in the life of the church, over the past 14 years, we've been building up to something. We've, we've changed demographically tremendously. We've become a hub for this community, especially, especially for the 12-step community. Our reputation in the 12-step community, you probably don't know unless you are engaged in it, is tremendous. The gratefulness that I get to hear from them whenever I happen to run into somebody and they reveal to me that they come here for meetings is just overwhelming. It's overwhelming to me. The kind of footprint that we have just in that area because we've opened up this resource that we have here. And so now we're looking at this renovation. We're looking at opening up the sanctuary in a different way. 
in a beautiful way so that, it can, so that we can grow in worship, so that we can grow in study and in service, so that then we can continue to use this facility as a tool for ministry in a larger way. And there have been some of you who have said, how are we going to do this? Well, increase our faith. (laughs) Right? I've been there. But faith knows how to kneel, and faith knows how to serve. Faith knows how to trust. We've been given this wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in us through the gospel. And so we're moving forward. Remembering those 26 people and two elders who started this, this whole thing going. And carrying on with all of those who had, who had the inspiration and the vision and the mustard seed faith to just move forward and to take steps. Good, bad, or indifferent. They trusted that God was in the midst of things. And I believe today that God is calling us more and more out into the community to be a place where when we come together, we are being equipped and trained to be missionaries in our own homes, in our, own, at, in, in our work, at our schools, all of that. To be people who are able to set aside the excuses of our culture and the excuses of the desires for our lives and our lives alone to commit our way to the Lord. John Buchanan, who was the pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago for many years, says, Faith knows how to kneel and how to serve and how to attempt great things. Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has given us everything that we need. Let us commit our way to the Lord. Increase our faith. Amen.